welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Start this session with uh, serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Good morning, and I uh, hope you all had a good night's sleep and are rested and ready to go and looking forward to the day. Uh, 10, 11, and 12 have been called the maintenance steps. Uh, rightly or wrongly, but uh, you know, if we practice 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis, it will throw us back into all the rest of the steps. But, uh, I kind of like to think of the steps as kind of like a, a musical keyboard, and you got 12 keys on it. And if you only got, like, you know, they talk about two-stepping, uh, like one and that part of 12 where we carry the message. You know, if you only got two notes, it's going to be a very boring melody. You know, ding, dong, ding, ding, dong, dong. But if you got all 12, you got a symphony. You can play them all. And you don't necessarily have to play them in order, but you got to know where they are and how they affect our uh, program of recovery. But the big payoff, where... For me, you know, it's like did one through nine, but then 10, 11, and 12 really brought everything together and freed me. And we'll get into it a little bit more in, in 12. But the object of the exercise is to get us to be independent, to be able to have that conscious contact with a God of our own understanding, which is the source of, eminently of, of all knowledge and power and strength. And that's what we want. We want that personal connection. I don't want any intermediary. I don't want to have to keep going to a sponsor and asking them, well, you know, is this right or that right? Or, you know, it's like what we want is to get to the point where we can integrate our program in such a way that we have the ability to make that conscious contact and receive the guidance and enlightenment that we seek. And and, in so doing, you know, that frees us. If that were not the case, I would never be able to sponsor as many men as I do. You know, I could sponsor a couple of guys and I'd be on the phone all the time. We do this and it gets independence. And that's what we're looking for. And once you once you learn how to get that conscious contact and and have it available in your life, you know, you're free, and you're not dependent on any other people. I have a sponsor. I have a local sponsor. Wherever I have lived, I've always gotten a local sponsor and, and use him as much as I can. We'll get more that in 12. But right now, 
we're going to talk about prayer and meditation, and Adam is going to talk about the big book. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I've, uh, let's see, I've looked forward to talking about step 11. Um, and my experience with this particular step has been uh, that it has been, as I've already mentioned, only effective as it's a, the quality of my 11th step time is based on my previous work, obviously, with steps leading up to it. Um, I've definitely known, get a feeling, I guess you could say, of God's maybe that will that will do a prayer time, but the steps preceding it are are lacking. And so my own experience has been that to have a really nice, full, beneficial uh, 11-step uh, experience in time, um, got to make sure that I'm on ball as much as I can with the steps before it. And um, on page 86 in the big book... Uh, excuse me, 85, the bottom of page 85, the discussion on step 11 begins. And I'll read through this. I'll, I'll go ahead and just read through to the end of the chapters, a couple pages, and then I'll share about my experience with, with working with um, what we're talking about here. So I'm just going to uh, read right on through. Um, step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better men than we are using it constantly. It works if we have proper attitude and work at it. It would be easy to be vague about this matter. Yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or were we thinking of what we could do for others and what we could pack into the stream of life? But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection for that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration and intuitive thought or decision. We relax and take it easy. We do not struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God 
it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We especially ask for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be held. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination, which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many uh, helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or a rabbi. Be quick to to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show. Humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, Thy will be done. We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily, for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. It works. It really does. We Sexaholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. This is, but this is not all. There is action and more action. Faith without, without works is dead. And then the next chapter we'll talk about after I'm done with step 11 is entirely devoted to step 12. Um, so, um, Big Book really uh, maps out a, a, a real good way to go um, as far as getting a discipline going with, with prayer and meditation time. Um, and... My my deal with uh, prayer and meditation has been an evolving evolving practice, an evolving thing that has um, changed over the years. Um, I've I've recently really started working with again with page eighty six, particularly, um, and the really neat thing about this exercise when we retire at night constructively review our day it's this involves I look at step 10 and 11 in some ways as really being connected in that right here I have a a review for my day mapped out for me and I can sit with this for a couple of minutes every night and this is what I do and I will will sit in quiet um, and and think, okay, where was I resentful today? And just kind of go through my day real quick. And where was I selfish? Just kind of notice it. And 
Same with dishonest and afraid. And then um, I'll go through, you know, the rest of these questions. Maybe not verbatim every single night, but this is the outline that I use. And um, uh, and I've actually gotten into um, where in the evening I'll also ask God to direct my thinking at night as well because I've found that um, maybe in dreams sometimes is I think you know more susceptible maybe to to temptation and so I'll ask for some special protection in the evening from God um, and the. The thing that um, I've come to believe with all my heart is that the, the time that I spend in the morning when I do my quiet time is the most important time of my entire day. And then when I do my time at night, it's, it's the most important. that Those two times are the most important time of my day to me. Because I am making that conscious decision to surrender to God and in that act of, of, of my will um, that's where my sobriety and life springs from and in, and I figure it's appropriate to share the way um, that I approach my time in the morning is uh I, tr- I go through the first few steps and I will, you know, say I'm, uh, I'll usually look in the mirror actually and say I'm, I'm a sexaholic, I'm, a, I'm an addict, an alcoholic, and I'm in need of God in the program today. And, uh, and then I'll go through and do some second step affirmations. And uh, I do this every morning. And you know, I'm a child of God, God loves me. and um, these types of things, and and then I get on my knees and say the third step prayer, um, and another thing that I work with have been for the past eight years, um, and this is me, and uh, the cool thing about the eleven step is free that you can do whatever you want with it. Use this as an outline and, and start with what's in the big book here. Um, but uh, when I got getting sober up in New York, um, it was really emphasized to me uh, to really work with um, the four absolutes that were a part of the beginning of early AA. And um, they're all connected to the steps, but to me, to me um, it gives me a real concrete way of working working for these things in my life every day. And so what I do in my prayer time is uh, first absolute, absolute honesty, no lying, no cheating, no stealing in a word, and all your fears simply and absolutely no falsehood. So obviously that's connection particular, in particular, let's say step one and five, but so I'll sit with I'll sit with that and I'll think of I've got all the definitions of the words memorized because I've been working with them for such a long time, and I'll sit with that and I will you know I'll ask God help me to be you know to grow towards 
absolute honesty today and help me to have fidelity to the truth in my thoughts, my words, and in my deeds. And um, a lot of times it helps to also picture that. How can I how can I do this in my relationship with Claire when I'm at work to bring you know truth into every aspect of life today? And then. Um, and then I'll sit the second one, absolute purity. Purity of mind, purity of body, purity of emotions, purity of the heart, and sexual purity. If anybody wants any of these, I'll give them to you after. And then I'll sit with that, and, and then I'll, you know, same thing, I'll ask God to help me to grow towards um, absolute purity today. And, uh, I'll, and, you know, I like to visualize what that looks like. Um, and, and we'll even sit with each one, you know, purity of heart, give me a pure heart, a pure, focused, undivided heart in all my affairs today. Um, realizing these are, you know, ideals that I'll be striving for for the rest of my life. Um, purity of heart, purity of mind, what were those? Mind, body, heart, emotions. And sexual purity. And then, and then I'll sit with uh, absolute unselfishness, seeking what is right and true in every situation, and doing what is right and true in every situation, above and before what I want. Um, and that really begins to that that incorporates to me um, step twelve. You know, practicing these principles in all my affairs, but. Um, uh, also, the self-restraint we talked about in step 10. And I'll do the same thing and sit with that for a moment. And then uh, the last one of absolute love, loving God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And indeed, I'd say the heart of that would be surrender to God in the third step. And this is just you know, an extinction thereof of that prayer to me. And, and and I usually will you know say you know God I, I want to love you like this help me help me to love you in this way today and to love my neighbor in this way today um, and those this to me has been a, a a really great tool for me in my recovery um, I'm I'm working with a guy now and and I'm keeping him really pretty strictly in the big book and. After he gets through the steps, I imagine I'll start to introduce some of this stuff more, but it's, it's all connected to the steps anyway. Um, but it's been very helpful for me in my walk in recovery. Um, uh, is also little yardsticks. If I come up against a uh, situation in my review at night and I'm questioning it, I'll say, you know, if I'm, let's say, struggling with a decision or something, I will put it up against the absolutes and say, okay, well, is this the, you know, absolute unselfishness, is this the right and true thing to do above and before what I want right now? And maybe talk it out with a sponsor later, something of that nature. So, um, that's that. And, um, and then, and then I really like where it says in the big book that, you know, when I'm done with my review at night, 
must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. So, what the, the whole point again is to, uh, you know, align myself with God, and 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 it's then to, you know, notice what I've done wrong, and then after that, drop it. You know, don't think about it, worry about it anymore. After I've asked God to forgive me, then He's He's done that, and I can move forward with with firm purpose and with joy and peace and relief and um, and then that will do nothing but increase my effectiveness to others and um, allow me to really you know be open to others and, and to to carry the message. Um, and and it's and then in the in the day, you know, continuing to Increase conscious contact with God, and what that looks like to me is when I go throughout the day. In, in the morning, I'll ask God if I if I know. Let's see, I'm going to be at work most of the day as opposed to school. Let's say, and uh, I'll be waiting tables all day, be on my feet for eight hours. I know I'll probably be getting tired, and um, I happen to work with all the people on the floor with me are females, and so. And sometimes their conversation can be in the absolute gutter, right? And so, whatever. And so, if, I, if I'm doing my prayer time in the morning before going to work as opposed to school, I will be conscious and aware of, you know, past experience, struggles that I've had at work, and will pray in that direction. And with that, I think of... <clears throat> My other reading that I do that's outside of, to, of the command to watch and pray, you know, be awake and aware of what's, as much as I can, what's going to be going on in my life, as much as I'm aware, um, and then pray in that, in that way. And that's given me a lot of help as well. Um, and, and then we'll ask God to help me to call on Him as much as I can in those situations. And so I have my set time in the morning, and um, and I'm about out of time on my discussion here on the eleventh step here. But um, do my set time in the morning, and then to continue that through the day, the most helpful thing for me has been for me repetitive prayer. That's that's been a practice that that my first sponsor worked with me on, and um, it's kind of evolved and changed. But for the most part. Uh, for for me, and I don't impose it on anybody, it's been a Jesus prayer for me. And and I just say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, and I will I'll use that as much as I can throughout the day. Um, I, and if I work, I've worked with some guys maybe, and, and they're maybe Jewish or something, and just you know, just say, God, have mercy on me, or what have you. But um, that has been an absolute lifesaver for me in times of temptation and just, let's say, driving or uh, walking, when I, um, you know, just around here on the grounds. Uh, I, I use it, and it's, and it's a way for me to um, keep that awareness of, of God and you know, to really try to practice being aware of His presence. And um, just the act of saying that prayer or remembering God's presence will raise my spirits in, in quite a way that can um, 
just do do wonders for me. Even if it's not in a time of temptation per se, just uh, you know, driving or whatever, and just say that. And um, it's uh, it's gosh, it's just such an incredible gift. And I I I, I really cherish my quiet time and my time with with my prayers in the morning and the evening and through the day and uh, um, it's uh, got to be the, one of the most important things that I do to, to keep me connected and, um, and sober a day at a time and, uh, and then really allows me to go out and, and carry the message and practice the principles to the best of my ability in all my affairs um, I imagine I shall Hush now and listen to Robert share from the 12 and 12 about us. Thank you, Adam. Excuse me. I just have a question about your mission. Absolutely, anything that you read or that was helpful in talking more about the council? Yeah. How about after when we're done? I have some stuff I we can chat about. Is that good? One of my problems is I think I know stuff and, uh, and then I have a tendency to disregard a lot of other information that comes in and instructions and so forth. And the illustration that I'll use is uh, I like to, uh, like to cook and, uh, and actually I like to bake. I'm a better baker than I am a cook and uh, make my own bread every week and uh, rolls and cakes and pies and such. Um, one of the cakes that I really like is a, uh, uh, a German chocolate cake and it's a layered cake but for illustrative purpose, purposes um, it's like if you have a favorite cake that you really like and you want to make that cake at home, you get a recipe, right? And then you follow the recipe if you want to get the cake that you really like. Now, me, you know, it's like you get the recipe and it's like, okay, we need uh, three, cl- three cups of flour. And, uh, and it's like, well... Uh, I got four cups of flour and uh, three cups. Okay, so we use three cups of flour. And then it calls for, you know, a stick of butter, but I really like butter, so I'm going to put a stick and a half in there. And it calls for a teaspoon of uh, vanilla, and I really like vanilla, so I'm going to put, you know, like two teaspoons of vanilla. Then it'll call for three quarters of a cup of sugar, and I like brown sugar, so I'll use three quarters of a cup of brown sugar. And... uh, then it says uh, two eggs, but I only have one, and uh, so I'll put one egg in there, and then a little bit of uh, uh, baking soda and baking powder, and mix it all together, and put it in the oven for you know uh, 350 for 45 minutes. Well, I'm kind of in a hurry, so I'm going to put it in at 425 for you know 15 minutes. Now, <laughs> you know the cake that comes out of that oven is going to be a cake. But whether or not it tastes like the cake that I'm trying to make is 
really iffy, you know? So if I'm given a recipe to make this cake, what I do, if I'm smart, <laughs> which is debatable, uh, is I make that cake just the way that it is in the recipe and I combine the ingredients in the measure that they're given, in sequence that they're given, and I do all the directions and I see what I get, what kind of result I get. And after I can get that cake, you know, exactly like the one that, that, uh, that I want, it's like then I can start playing with the vanilla and maybe add a little touch of lemon or, you know, something like that and see if I get a better tasting cake or I can always go back to the standard recipe, right? Okay. Why should I treat my recovery program any different? I got a recipe. They gave me a program. Why don't I do it exactly like it's written in our literature and I'm going to have this experience? You know, if I follow each and every one of these steps exactly as it's written in our literature, we're going to have whatever that experience is. Well, after you get done with that experience, you can toy and play around with it all you want. But why don't you give yourself the benefit of having the cake that they describe, that long-term contented sobriety, happy, joyous, and free that they describe. And if you can improve on that, and we're all trying to do that, you know, fine. But you always have a standard that you can go back to. You can always go back to that one piece of cake that you know is going to be good. It'll satisfy. That being said, uh, if we turn back into the 12 and 12, we're going to backtrack here a little bit to step 10, and it might be on page 94 in your book, and it, the paragraph starts out, as we glance down the debit side of the day's ledger, is that right? As we glance down the debit side of the day's ledger, we're doing you know our daily inventory now. Uh, we should carefully examine our motives in each thought or act that appears to be wrong. We didn't get the outcome we were looking for. In most cases, our motives won't be hard to see and understand. When prideful, angry, jealous, anxious, or fearful, we acted accordingly, and that was that. Here, we need only recognize that we did act or think badly. Here, we need only recognize that we did act or think badly. Try to visualize, making uh, images in our mind, imagine, try to visualize how we might have done better and resolve, one of those rewords, resolve with God's help to carry these lessons over into tomorrow, making, of course, any amends still neglected. But in other instances, only the closest scrutiny will reveal what our true motives were. There are cases where our ancient enemy, rationalization, has stepped in and has justified conduct which was really wrong. The temptation here is to imagine that we had good motives and reasons when we really didn't. We constructively criticized someone who needed it when our real motive was to win a useless argument or the person concerned not being present, we thought we were helping others to understand him when in actuality our true motive was to feel superior by pulling him down. We sometimes hurt those we love because they need to be taught a lesson when we really want to punish. 
we were depressed and complained we felt bad when in fact we were mainly asking for sympathy and attention. This odd trait of mind and emotion, this perverse wish to hide a bad motive underneath a good one, permeates human affairs from top to bottom. This subtle and elusive kind of self-righteousness can underlie the smallest act or thought. Learning daily to spot, admit, and correct these flaws is the essence of character building and good living. An honest regret for harms done, a genuine gratitude for blessings received, and a willingness to try for better things tomorrow will be the permanent assets we shall see. And having so considered our day, not admitting to take due note of things well done, and having searched our hearts with neither fear nor favor, we can truly thank God from the blood for the blessings we have received and sleep in good conscience. So, I'm doing this on a daily basis now, mostly. You know, it's like... Uh, and then I get into uh, step 11. And, you know, when I say a daily basis, usually during the week, Monday through Friday is not a problem. You know, it's routine. I go to work, you know, take care of business, get home, do whatever I need to do, and then, you know, usually go to bed at about the same time. So I do my 10th step and uh, prayer meditation. The problem is that, like on the weekends, my routine is shot. So, you know, prayer and meditation go out the window and 10th step two. And then during the week, you know, there may be a late night or two and things get busy. And, you know, I, I find that the first thing I'm dumping is God. The thing, when things get busy, God's gone. And it's like, wait a minute. What's wrong with this? God should be, the, when things get in turmoil, God should be the last thing to go. But the addict in me is like, oh, well, this is easy. Adios. And, you know, and I'm working with sponsees, and I'm telling them, you know, like we read you know, yesterday, you know, that what we really have is a daily reprieve. Daily reprieve. Contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. That tells me I can't stay sober today on yesterday's program. i got to work today's program today. So I'm doing this and I'm thinking, you know, i gotta, I got to do this every day. And so I'm going to shoot for 30 days. You know, 30 days consecutively and not blow it. It took me almost six months. I mean, you know, I, I mean, it just took me six months to put together 30 days. And I was getting right toward the 30-day mark, and I knew I was going to make it this time. And I thought, 30, heck, let's go 90. You know, 90 days and see if we can do that. And, uh, and I quit counting after five years that every day, religiously, this is what I do. This is the most important part of my day today. However, all that being said, when I started doing this exactly as it's written in our literature, I'm doing my, you know, tenth step, and I got some issues that just don't seem to be getting it. I got the same issues with my wife, and we're just going like this, and I can't seem to get resolution. And there's some other issues at work, and these are like my primary character defects, my, how I approach life, and I just seem to be going like this. And I'll get into some specifics later. And it's getting to be, you know, time to go to bed. I got about, you know, 15 minutes left in the uh, prayer meditation, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm tired. 
And so I'm just going to get into the prime meditation part. I'm letting go of the, the tenth step. So now we get to the eleventh step. And it says, sought through prime meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And if you want to follow along in the 12 and 12, we're going to be reading here for a little bit. Prayer and meditation are our principal means of conscious contact with God. We essays are active folk, enjoying the satisfactions of dealing with the realities of life, usually for the first time in our lives, and strenuously trying to help the next sexaholic that comes along. So it isn't surprising that we often tend to slight serious meditation and prayer as something not really necessary. To be sure, we felt it as something that might help us to meet an occasional emergency, but at first many of us are apt to regard it as a somewhat mysterious skill of clergyman from which we may hope to get a second-hand benefit, or perhaps we don't believe in these things at all. To certain newcomers and to those one-time agnostics who still cling to the SA group as their higher power, claims for the power of prayer may, despite all the logic and experience and proof of it, still be unconvincing or quite objectionable. Those of us who once felt this way can certainly understand and sympathize. We well remember how something deep inside us kept rebelling against the idea of bowing before any god. Many of us had strong logic, too, which proved there was no god whatever. What about all the accidents, sickness, cruelty, and injustice in the world? What about all those unhappy lives, which were the direct result of unfortunate birth and uncontrollable circumstances? Surely there could be no justice in this scheme of things, and therefore no god at all. Sometimes we took a slightly different tack. Sure, we said to ourselves, the hen probably did come before the egg. No doubt the universe had a first cause of some sort. The god of the atom may be hot and cold by turns. But certainly there wasn't any evidence of a god who knew or cared about human beings. We liked S.A. all right, and were quick to say that it had done miracles. But we recoiled from meditation and prayer as obstinately as the science scientist who refused to perform a certain experiment, lest it prove his pet theory wrong. I love that because I used to do it. I mean, it's kind of like I'm not going to read the uh, the trial transcript because I know how the judgment came down. I don't want to read all the pros and cons. I just nah. Of course, we finally did experiment, and we found, and when unexpected results followed, we felt different. In fact, we knew different, and so we were sold on meditation and prayer. And that, we have found, can happen to anybody who tries. It has been said well enough that almost the only scoffers at prayer are those who have never tried it enough. Those of us who have come to make regular use of prayer would no more do without it than we would refuse air, food, or sunshine. Whoa. Those of us who have come to make regular use of prayer would no more do without it than we would refuse air, food, or sunshine. And for the same reason, when we refuse air, light, or food, the body suffers. And when we turn away from prayer and meditation, we likewise deprive our minds, emotions, and our intuitions of vitally needed support. I never understood that until I had it. And now that I have it, I don't ever want to lose it. If I, lose, if I lost that, that intuitive, whatever that connection is, it would be like I lost one of my senses. 
hearing, sight, taste, something. And I, I never want to lose that. As the body can fail its purpose for lack of nourishment, so can the soul. We all need the light of God's reality, the nourishment of his strength, and the atmosphere of his grace. To an amazing extent, the facts of essay life confirm this ageless truth. Now this is the this next sentence is the one that I had missed for so many years. There is a direct linkage among self examination step ten. There is a direct linkage among self-examination, meditation, and prayer. Taken separately, these steps can bring much relief and benefit. But when they are logically and, re- and logically related and interwoven, the result is an unshakable foundation for life. When they are logically in- related and interwoven, the result is an unshakable foundation for life. This is a recipe. Now and then we may be granted a glimpse of the ultimate reality which is God's kingdom and we will be comforted and assured that our own destiny in that realm will be secure for so long as we try, however falteringly, to find and do the will of our Creator. As we have seen, self-searching is the means by which we bring new vision, action, and grace to bear upon the dark and negative sides of our nature. It is a step in the development of that kind of humility that makes it possible for us to receive God's help. Yet it is only a step we will want to go further. We will want the good that is in all of us, even the worst of us, to flower and grow. Most certainly we will need bracing air and abundance of food. But first of all, we shall want sunlight. Nothing much can grow in the dark. Meditation is our step out into the sun. How then shall we meditate? The actual practice of meditation and prayer across the centuries is, of course, immense. The world's libraries and places of worship are a treasure trove for all seekers. It is also it is to be hoped that every essay who has a religious connection which emphasizes meditation will return to the practice of that devotion as never before. And what about but what about the rest of us who, less fortunate, don't even know how to begin? Well, we might start like this. First, let's look at a really good prayer. We won't have far to seek. The great men and women of all religions have left us with a wonderful supply. Here, let us consider one that is a classic. Its author was a man who for several hundred years now has been rated as a saint. We won't be biased or scared off by the fact. But although, because although he was not an alcoholic, he did like us, or sexaholic, he did like us, go through the emotional ringer. And as he came out the other side of that painful experience, this prayer was his expression of what he could then see, feel, and wish to become. Which saint? Francis. Which saint Francis? Of Assisi. Of Assisi. How many saint Francis's are there? Five. Saint Francis de Sales, Saint Francis Xavier, Saint Francis of Assisi, Saint. I know there's two more. Anyway, pardon me? Paola. Okay. And, but Assisi, now, Francis was uh, born into a wealthy family in Italy. And uh, he was being groomed to take over the family business. And as part of that, well-educated, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he joined the Crusades. 
you know, and he went down into North Africa, you know, to reclaim Jerusalem and vanquish the infidels. Well, he got captured, and he spent years in an Egyptian prison, captured by the Moors. And uh, and while in prison, he vowed that if he ever got out, he would dedicate his life to God. And he did eventually escape, made it back to Italy, and got home. Everybody's glad to see him. And he tells Dad, I'm going to be a monk. And Dad said, over my dead body, I didn't waste all them years of education and training and everything and praying for you and for you to walk away from the family and abandon the business. You will do what you're told to do. And he goes, nope. I'm going to dedicate my life to God. Son, you're nuts. And involuntarily committed him to an asylum until he saw the light of day. And uh, Francis didn't uh, recant. You know, he said he maintained, you know, no, you know, I'm, my life is God's at this point. And, uh, and finally, his father relented and, uh, and he went around preaching. And he was preaching poverty and obedience and chastity. And, uh, and this was very popular with the people, but it really pissed off, pissed off the Vatican and, uh, because uh, they were wealthy and wanted to get wealthier. And, you know, it's like, well, what he's saying is true, but it makes us real uncomfortable. And, uh, and uh, Francis petitioned the Pope to found his own order, the Franciscans, which is a missionary organization that is dedicated to education and spreading the word of God, as far as I know. I could be wrong here. But uh, Francis you know, established this order and renounced wealth and power and everything. But and he attracted all these people into into the order, but they were jostling for prestige, getting next to Francis and having authority and and, uh, and power within the organization. And it really disgusted him. And he fought a lot of battles and there was a lot of politics and it was really a pain in the butt. You know, he thought that, you know, by establishing this order, this was going to be a great thing, and it turned out to be problems. But he dealt with them over his life, and he ended up experiencing what they, what is known as the stigmata, where he actually demonstrated the wounds that Christ had when they nailed him to the cross, and he eventually died. But his life was like, you know, really a challenge. Having said all that, this is the guy that wrote this prayer. And his prayer was, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness, that where there is discord, I may bring harmony, that where there is error, I may bring truth, that where there is doubt, I may bring faith, that where there is despair, I may bring hope, that where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds, it is by forgiving that one is forgiven, and it is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. As beginners in meditation, we might now reread this prayer several times very slowly savoring every word and trying to 
take in the deep meaning of each phrase and idea. It will help if we can drop all resistance to what our friend says, for in meditation, debate has no place. We rest quietly with the thoughts of someone who knows so that we may experience and learn. As though lying upon a sunlit beach, let us relax and breathe deeply of the spiritual atmosphere with which the grace of this prayer surrounds us. Why relax? Chance meditation doesn't work all that. Absolutely correct. You know, you want to. Now, I could be wrong here, but the purpose of relaxing is because this is an exercise of the mind. The body has no place here. So, if we're screwed up in some position, and, you know, my butt hurts, and, you know, and, you know, and it's just really uncomfortable, what are we thinking about? Body. So what we want to do is to get ourselves so that we can relax and forget about the body. It's like, we'll do sleep. <laughs> you know, and when we get the body out of the way, now I can focus where I need to spend my time and effort. Right? Maybe. Don't believe in this. But this is, this is my understanding. And I could certainly be wrong. And besides that... How do you deal with the distractions? With what? Just recognize them and let them go. Just, I mean, we do the best we can and go forward. You know, I, I try to pick uh, a place where I can be quiet. Now, my wife and I, oh, some years ago, started, you know, doing this together at night. And so our sanctuary, so to speak, is, uh, is quiet and it's a good place. We have some uh, uh, meditation pillows that we put on the floor and uh, we sit down and sit upright and meditate. I mean, it's you'll find something that works. Some people can do it lying down. When I lie down to do it, I have a tendency to fall asleep. So, you know, it's like, mm, wrong. <laughs> Not the object of the exercise. So, you know, I'll sit up. I get good use out of just sitting, my cross leg uh, on this. Uh, my butt's up a couple of inches below my, in my feet below, and it seems to work a little bit better. Uh, shucks, says somebody, this is nonsense. It ain't practical. When such thoughts break in, we might recall, recall a little ruefully how much store we used to set by fantasy as we tried to create reality out of lust. Anyway, uh, so. My sponsor says, you know, there's three really distinct step prayers, and this is one of them. And you've memorized three, you've memorized seven, now we're going to memorize eleven. So, you know, i got to tell you, one of my character deep breaths is slow. I am constantly in search of the easier, softer way. And when I find it, I want two. Uh, so, over time, I uh, developed a little in working with, because it was so difficult for me to get this down, you know, I developed a little uh, mnemonic that I used. And then in working with sponsees and stuff, some of them that are really really found memorizing the prayer is difficult. I started sharing it with them and uh, it seemed to work. And I would uh, offer that to you guys if you're interested. 
if you can memorize this prayer in about six or eight minutes. You interested? Okay. Yeah. That's what this is. And yeah. if you can just remember this, I hate to be wrong. Anybody here not hate to be wrong? I hate to be wrong. And I end up in this is called a dead S, which is a cul-de-sac. Okay? Dead S. That's an S, right? Okay. So a dead S is kind of like this is the part of an S. It's kind of like a dead S. An S that died. Dead S. And a dead S is really kind of a cul-de-sac, right? You guys following me? <laughs> I'm not seeing any nods. Uh, are we getting that? I mean, it's just, it, it's a visual. And it's kind of nuts like me, so, you know, you just kind of got to go with it. Okay? So, I hate to be wrong, because I end up in a dead S. You know, it's like I didn't, I didn't mean to be here. It's a dead S. I, I wanted to get somewhere else. A dead S. I end up in a cul-de-sac where I forget to forgive and then I die. Where I forget to forgive and then I die. I know it doesn't make any sense. But if you can memorize those three sentences, I hate to be wrong, I end up in a dead S, a cul-de-sac, where I forget to forgive and then I die. Okay? Lord, make me a channel of thy peace. That where there is hatred, I can bring love. That where there is wrong, I can bring thee Spirit of forgiveness. End up in a dead ass. That where there is discord, I can bring, kind of like playing a guitar strum chords, that where there is discord, I can bring harmony. That where there is error, I can bring truth. I want to bring right. Truth. That where there is despair, I can bring hope. That where there is doubt, I can bring faith. That where there is shadows, I can bring light. That where there is sadness, I can bring joy. Lord, let me seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is in self-forgetting, it is by self-forgetting, how's that? That one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one is your awakening to eternal life. Now that one's the hard one. Now, when I sit down and I'm doing my chant step, and I got this problem with Amanda, it doesn't seem to go away. But I give up. You know, I ain't going to solve that battle tonight. Let's get on to the prime meditation. So. God, I'm now ready that you should have all of me. Good and bad. God, uh, I offer myself to the third step prayer. I do my third step prayer. Say it 
and say it like I mean it. it might take me three, four, five times, you know, till I get that feeling going, you know, and I think about it. Okay, and now I can turn my will and my life, my thoughts and my actions over to the care of God as I understand them. Seventh step here. God, I'm now ready that you should have all of me, good and bad, strengths and weaknesses. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and others. And I think about that prayer. And now I can humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings. And now I'm at the prayer of St. Francis. I'm thinking, okay, uh, God, man, make me a channel of thy peace. That's what I want. I want peace. I just want to be at peace. I want that serenity. I don't need all the stress and, and button heads with Amanda, you know, because I'm still thinking about her. And um, make me a channel of that. How could I find peace with Amanda about this issue? And, uh, and I'll, I'll give you a, a perfect example. And that is, you know, for some reason in my mind, I'll think, okay, we're going to go through the day, say a weekend of Saturday or a Sunday, and we're going to do these things. We're going to drive up to Columbia, and then we're going to go to this place, and then we're going to go to this place, and then we're going to go over here. And I got it all scheduled with my mind. And uh, we're headed up to Columbia, and Amanda says, you know, I really wanted to go over here while we're going, you know, while we're up here, I want to go over here. And it's like, no, that screws everything up. I don't want to do that, you know, and it's like, there's just a miscommunication there, but it, it just really, I mean, it just throws me for a loop. And it's like, ah, you know, that, and I may say some inappropriate things or, you know, snap at her or not be direct, but indirect, you know, kind of snipe. And uh, that where there is wrong, I can bring the spirit of forgiveness. You know, did I wrong her? Did I wrong me? And how does forgiveness look and how would I bring forgiveness to that and that where there is hatred is there anything in there that I hate yeah I hate me I hate this situation it just keeps coming back and I can't seem to do anything about it that where there is hatred I can bring love and what is love and how would I bring love into this situation and the definition of love that I love is Love is the desire to do good for another. Love is the desire to do good for another. And, uh, and I love that because I can pray for my enemies. I can desire that God's be in their life as God would be in their life. So as I work through this prayer and I'm thinking about it and trying to bring all of these elements to see how many elements are at work in this particular situation, suddenly I'm getting some divine ideas about you know how how I might bring an enlightened solution to this. The, the purpose of prayer and meditation. Prayer is the asking. The meditation is the listening. And, uh, and it's like how, the purpose of meditation is to involve heaven in the affairs of earth. The purpose of meditation is to devise enlightened ways of dealing with our situations. So. Suddenly, as I'm going through my 10th step and doing the 11th step, they are logically interwoven, and how's that go? A direct linkage among self-examination, meditation, and prayer. All of a sudden, this is coming alive for me. It's like, dang. And, uh, and I'm getting the answers that I seek, and I'm changing my life, and things are getting a lot better. And 
this this is good stuff, you know. So I go forward, and uh, and if we turn probably to page 102, uh, there's a paragraph that start that starts up. Actually, we're going to continue on. Uh, when such thoughts break in, we might recall, recall a little ruefully uh, how much store we used to set by imagination as it tried to create reality out of fantasy. Yes, we reveled in that sort of thinking, didn't we? And though sober nowadays, don't we often try to do much the same thing? Perhaps our trouble was not that we used our imagination. Perhaps our real trouble was our almost total inability to point imagination toward the right objectives. Imagination, that's a great word. It's making images in our mind. Imagination. There's nothing the matter with constructive imagination. All sound achievement rests on it. After all, no man can build a home until if he first envisions a plan for it. Well, meditation is like that too. It helps to vision our spiritual objective before we try to move toward it. So let's get back to that sunlit beach or to the plains or the mountains if you prefer. When by such simple devices we have placed ourselves in a mood in which we can focus undisturbed on constructive imagination, we might proceed like this. Once more we read our prayer and again try to see what the inner essence is. We think now about the man who first uttered the prayer. First of all, he wanted to become a channel. Then he asked for the grace to bring love, forgiveness, harmony, truth, faith, hope, light, and joy to every human being he could. Next came the expression of an aspiration and a hope for himself. He hoped God willing that he might be able to find some of these treasures too. This he would try to do by what he called self-forgetting. What do you mean by self-forgetting? And how did he propose to accomplish that? He thought it better to comfort than to receive. Better to understand than to be understood. Better to forgive than to be forgiven. This much could be a fragment of what is called meditation, perhaps our very first attempt into a mood, a flyer into the realm of spirit, if you like. It ought to be followed by a great look at where we now stand and a further look at what might happen in our lives were we able to move closer to the ideal we have been trying to glimpse. Meditation is something which can always be further developed. It has no boundaries, either of width or height. Aided by such instruction and example as we can find, it is essentially an individual adventure, something which each of us works out in his own way, but its object is always the same, to improve our conscious contact with God, with his grace, wisdom, and love. And let's always remember that meditation is, in reality, intensely practical. One of its first fruits is emotional balance. With it, we can broaden and deepen the channel between ourselves and God as we understand it. Now, what a prayer. Prayer is the raising of the heart and mind to God, and in this sense, it includes meditation. How may we go about it, and how does it fit in with meditation? Prayer, as commonly understood, is a petition to God. So, we have the prayers that we have, you know, and these are the ones that I use every day. Uh, And... Let's go to page, uh, it's probably 105 for you, and the paragraph starts, in essay we have found that the actual good results of prayer are beyond question. Is that correct? 104. There are matters of knowledge and experience. All those who have persisted have found strength, not ordinarily their own, 
They have found wisdom beyond their usual capacity, and they have increasingly found a peace of mind which can stand firm in the face of difficult circumstances. That is absolutely true. And one of the great benefits of doing, of using this recipe to bake your cake. We discovered that we do receive guidance for, for our lives to just about the extent that we stop making demands upon God to give it to us on order and on our terms. You know, somebody uh, put in the ask a basket yesterday about acceptance. Maybe this is real good. We discovered that we do receive guidance for our lives to just about the extent that we stop making demands upon God to give it to us on order and on our terms. Almost any experienced essay will tell how his affairs have taken taken remarkable and unexpected turns for the better as he tried to improve his conscious contact with God. He will also report, report that out of every season of grief or suffering, when the hand of God seemed heavy or even unjust, new lessons for living were learned and resources of courage were uncovered, and that finally, inescapably, the conviction came that God does move in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. All this should be very encouraging news for those who recoil from prayer because they don't believe in it or because they feel themselves cut off from God's help and direction. All of us, without exception, pass through times when we can pray only with the greatest exertion of will. Occasionally, we will even go further than this. We are seized with a rebellion so sickening that we simply won't pray. And this happened to me uh, probably five, six years ago, and I was really distraught. But I was at a point where I could not pray. And I remember this passage in the book, and it says, We are seized with a rebellion so sickening that we simply won't pray. And when these things happen, we should not think too ill of ourselves. We should simply resume prayer as soon as we, as soon as we can, doing what we know to be good for us. Perhaps one of the greatest rewards of meditation... You know, I was still doing my meditation. I just couldn't pray. Just, I mean, it, it was terrible. It was a very dark period. Perhaps, and it wasn't about the kind of program I was working. It was uh, probably an organic or chemical type thing. And I actually started taking some uh, uh, antidepressants and... They say it's not habit forming, but I'd kill for them. <laughs> I call them my marriage caps. And my wife will tell you that if I don't take them, there will be no marriage. Perhaps one of the greatest rewards of meditation and prayer is the sense of belonging that comes to us. We no longer live in a completely hostile world. We are no longer lost and frightened and purposeless. The moment we catch even a glimpse of God's will, the moment we begin to see truth, justice, and love as the real and eternal things in life, we are no longer deeply disturbed by all the seeming evidence to the contrary that surrounds us in purely human affairs. We know that God lovingly watches over us. We know that when we turn to Him, all will be well with us here and hereafter. Meditation is a very precise practice, and it is important to hit the mark that we aim for. After all, if we believe ourselves to be in touch with a higher power, but are, in fact, only in touch with our warm and cozy wish life, we 
grievously deceive ourselves. You know, in the in the big book here, uh, <coughs> on the top of page 87, that first sentence it says, "What used to be the hunt for the occasional inspiration, inspiration taking spirit in, in, in uh, well, uh, taking spirit in." Occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Absolutely true. And it's like the promises, you know, we will intuitively know. And it, it's just there. And it's like, and, it, and you can rely on it. It's like, I know when the, when the situation arises, I know that God will have me give me the right feeling, thought, word, intuition. And, uh, and I never want to lose that. Um, and at the end, the very end, the last paragraph on 88, it says, or the uh, second to the last, it says, We sexaholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in the simple way that we have outlined. Well, I'd never... Well, I knew a little something about discipline. Discipline is something where... Uh, that Frank would use to beat the shit out of me. Uh, and I didn't really have a very good uh, history with discipline. Uh, but I looked it up in the dictionary, you know. And really, discipline is a, a training that is expected to produce a specific character or pattern of behavior, especially training that produces moral or mental improvement. And... Uh, Okay, so I was thinking, uh, di- uh, discipline, like uh, if you were going to be, be a psychologist or in, enter a PhD program, that you would undertake a, a, a scholastic discipline. To, you know, you go to somebody that had what you wanted, and you'd go through this training program, and eventually you'd get what you were looking for. Or if it's in the martial arts, you'd go to a... Uh, what they call the uh, sensei, sensei, and uh, and uh, go through this discipline, this pattern of training. And uh, interestingly enough, the uh, word before discipline in the dictionary is disciple, and they have the same Latin root, and it is discipulus. And if you Think that there's a pupil in there. There is discipulus, and it comes from the Latin "desire" to learn. So it says that we sexaholics are undisciplined. So we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined, and we we discipline ourselves to this program. What do we become? Disciples. I do believe, and I do believe that. Each and every person that actively participates and integrates the steps of this program into their living each and every day is indeed a disciple of their higher power. And ministry takes many forms. And I believe that each of us are commissioned at that point to go forth and be our best self. And as Francis of Assisi is known for having said, Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. (laughs) Now, uh, what do you guys think about
Step 11. Yeah. Um, I your response, you mentioned uh, something about uh, you had a root word for prayer uh, in relation to breathing. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. Latin word for breath has to do with praying. Yeah, I don't know. Steve, Steve, you know. For me, it, for me, when people say, "How is your prayer life?" Uh, it's funny that we never say, "How is your breathing life?" Um, because for me, prayer is breathing. Uh, is as essential as breathing. I've I've heard that I like this definition of prayer: the raising of the mind and heart to God. Just one of her. Bill. Yesterday. Uh, we talked about uh, character defects as instincts and arms of uh, uh, In the white book, it says lust is the demand that a natural instinct serve an unnatural purpose. <laughs> now we're finding that if we will work this way of life, that our mental life begins to return to its intended purpose. And this is what will really create a stir if you want to take it to an essay meeting. Uh, your fantasy life, your imagination begins to serve the purpose for which God intended. Because in, in, in essay meetings, we talk about fantasy as if it's evil and has absolutely no useful purpose. <coughs> and we just found out why God would give us a gift of that nature. I remember that there's one other thing that I wanted to cover in, in step 11. In, uh, uh, maybe the bottom of uh, 103 or, well, 103 or 104, and it, the paragraph starts, of course, and is reasonable. 103. Of course it is reasonable and understandable that the question is often asked, why can't we take a specific and troubling dilemma straight to God and in prayer secure from Him sure and definite answers to our questions? It can be done, but it has hazards. We have seen essays ask with much earnestness and faith for God's explicit guidance on matters ranging all the way from a shattering domestic or financial crisis to correcting a minor personal fault, like tardiness. Quite often, however, the thoughts that seem to come from God are not answers at all. They prove to be well-intentioned, unconscious rationalizations. You know, my problem is that I keep getting messages from God in my own handwriting. <laughs> the essay, or indeed any man who tries to run his life rigidly by this kind of prayer, by this self-serving demand of God for replies, is a particularly disconcerting individual. To any questioning or criticism of his actions, he instantly proffers his reliance upon prayer for guidance in all matters great and small. He may have forgotten the possibility that his own wishful thinking and the human tendency to rationalization have distorted his so-called guidance. With the best of intentions, he tends to force his own will into all sorts of situations and problems with the comfortable assurance that he is acting under God's specific direction. Under such an illusion, he can, of course, create great havoc without in the least intending it. 
We also fall into another similar temptation. We form ideas as to what we think God's will is for other people. We say to ourselves, this one ought to be cured of his fatal malady, or that one ought to be relieved of his emotional pain, and we pray for specific things. Such prayers, of course, are fundamentally good acts, but they're often based upon the supposition that we know God's will for the other person for whom we pray. I think that you know we can be incredibly arrogant and presumptive. You know, God fixed this one. God give that one the girl, this guy the, the car, me the house, that one the job. It's like, why do I need to tell God his business? You know, I think that the best prayer that I can give is that God be in their life as God would be in their life. Because I believe that if God is in their life as God would be in their life, I got no problem. This means that side by side with an earnest prayer there can be a certain amount of presumption and conceit in us. It is essay's experience that particularly in these cases we ought to pray that God's will, whatever it is, be done for others as well as for ourselves. In essay we have found that the actual good results of prayer are beyond question. They are a matter of knowledge, experience, and strength. And we already read all that. But prayer doesn't tell the mind what to do. It asks the mind what to do. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to read some of the notes that I have made o- over time. You might enjoy them. Well, before you move on, can I say something? Just because we just read about it, let's see, on the bottom of 103, we've seen essay that has much presence of faith for God's explicit guidance on matters, ranging all the way from shattering domestic financial crisis to the NAOPS. And uh, I want to share experience I, I just had this weekend, just the Friday before I came up here. Um, my wife's car, a couple weeks ago, the radiator went out, and we had that replaced, and had some heating hoses replaced, and uh, it's about $500 total. That was a pretty big hit. Um, we both go to school and work part-time, so we're, you know, but we, we could afford it, we paid for it, we got taken care of it, and started, the car started leaking again. Alright, so we took it back to the mechanic, and um, Friday morning, I was, you know, at school and I had a voice up in the receptionist of the mechanic's office and she said, uh, the water pump's bad and it's going to be $581. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I, I said, okay, thanks, you know, and uh, I just, you know, sat there in my car for a second and you know, recognized I was feeling fear and, uh, you know, prayed about it. And you know, did some of my you know, personal love and set meditation just to calm down. And I called my wife and just told her, I just heard from the mechanic, this is what it is, this is how much it's going to cost. And you know, she was you know, upset about it too. We uh, talked about it for a second and just decided we'll talk about it when I get back on Sunday. Because I was going to school and now I was heading straight here. Um, and, uh, we'll talk about it Sunday. So I, I, I prayed about it. I, um, Remind myself, you know, fear of uh, financial insecurity will leave us. Fear of financial insecurity will leave us. Some someone pointed that out. Um, and I consciously called to mind two or three other times when money had just when money had come in and we needed it. And uh, and also reminded myself that you know my wife and I are very responsible with our money. We have a good tight budget. We don't waste money and then expect God to just you know show up and help us out. Um, 
and uh, you know, and, and consciously surrender as best I could, and, and I found that I was able to, and, and I went on the rest of my day, and I was able to be joyful and just say, you know, I know that, you know, whatever the answer is, I don't know what the answer is. I didn't ask, you know, make it come from here or try to figure out, what, you know, what I could do. It's just we're going to talk about it on Sunday, and you know, it'll be fine. And I called her last night to talk to her before I went to bed. She had gone over to her mom's, and she was like. Uh, yeah, I was talking about the car situation, and, and uh, they said they'd be glad to loan us, loan us some money to pay for the water pump, and, and we can pay it back, you know, whatever it is, if we're in a good place, to pay it back. Uh, great. Yeah, extremely grateful for that. And, uh, as far as I got down on my knees and said, I'm so grateful and uh, humbled, you know, you know, you proved yourself again. And, uh, thank you for that. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Thanks for sharing. This is how you hang on for dear life. Uh, and how often have I felt what? What words will tell you what God's presence is like? But fear and tension have subsided. Peace and love and self-control and health have surged up in me. I've been still in known that God is there. Prayer focuses thought on God the way a compass keeps its needle turned toward north. And when a great musician tells us that if he doesn't practice for a single day, he knows it. And if he doesn't practice for two days, the critics know it. And if he doesn't practice for three days, everybody knows it. Meditation is meant to be a means of bringing the life of the higher power into the life of us. It involves heaven and the affairs of earth. The act of meditating occurs as the personality contacts the higher self and then translates the spiritual qualities and forces of the higher power into practical expression in daily life. I think that bringing it into practical expression is the key. You know, whatever we get in prayer and meditation, we need to bring into reality. We've got to make it manifest on the planet. After all, a fundamental goal, not only to discover the presence of God, but to practice this presence, is our primary spiritual obligation. The great purpose of prayer is this, to turn longings into words, words into attitudes, Attitudes into acts, acts into a life. Meditation must be used to center ourselves in God and then practice the presence of God in our daily activities and all our waking states of consciousness. From Alcoholics Anonymous comes of age, real, real prayer is not telling God what we want. It is putting ourselves at his disposal so he can tell us what he wants. Prayer is not trying to get God to change his will. It's trying to find out what his will is to align ourselves or realign ourselves with his purpose for the world and for us. Contacting the higher power is a little like breathing. You must breathe in the divine life and then exhale it through your self-expression. You inhale a fresh breath of wisdom and goodwill and courage and then breathe it into your daily behavior. 
Ask what you can learn from this problem about ourselves, human nature, the needs of others, how we can be helpful, and what new responsibilities we ought to accept. The reason for meditating on difficulties is to devise enlightened ways of resolving them. When, when should I pray? When should I not pray? If you come out of your prayer with a new feeling toward yourself and God, yourself and your world, your world and God, your prayer work. And I'll leave you with this thought. I prayed for a lot of years for a divine idea. I wanted to have a divine idea. Actually, I'm going to leave you with two thoughts. And my understanding of a divine, and I think I got it, but a divine idea has four elements, as far as I can tell. It hurts no one. It leads to the growth of all involved. It opens the way for its own implementation. And the longer you work with it, the more enthusiastic you become. I just happen to like that. The divine idea hurts no one. It leads to the growth of all involved. It opens the way for its own implementation. And the longer you work with it, the more enthusiastic you become. Enthusiasm, enthusiastic, the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek enthusiasm, which means to be filled with spirit. Now, this last thing is just something that I thought of, and I'll share it with you just as an idea. You can do with it what you want. You know, many churches have a concept of tithing. And, uh, and that is usually 10% of your income and you give it to the church. Why? Because you'll be blessed by that, right? And the, the law of the universe, the immutable law of the universe, whether you want to call it the golden rule or karma or whatever it is, what goes around comes around, usually in spades. So whatever you put out into the universe is multiplied and returns to us. If you're resentful and angry and pissed off, guess what comes at you? you know? Resentful, angry, pissed off. If you want to be loving and kind and considerate, then generally you get that back. Well, you know, there's a line in the in the Bible, and I don't usually talk about scripture and such, but everybody here seems to be fairly good with that. And and that is, Paul writes that you know it's better to give than to receive. <laughs> Not at my house. <laughs> Sorry. You know, you come around my house at Christmas, it's like, you know, you give all these gifts, and it gives me a good feeling, but where's mine? Where's my present? You know, I want mine. And Paul was in his head a lot, and Paul never knew Christ. He hung out with a lot of guys that didn't know Christ, but he didn't know Christ. And what the apostles were saying was that what goes around comes around in space, you know, that it's multiplied and comes back to him. Paul, he goes, oh, well, let's see, if I want more, I'll give, and then I'll get more. So it's better, actually, to give than to receive. Now it makes sense. You know, I get it. Well, usually with tithing, we talk about financially, right? Money, stuff. What would be the effect if we tithed time? 
Time is the most precious commodity in the universe. Each of us only has so much. And once you spend it as God, you'll never get it back. You can't save it. You can't hoard it. You can't give it away. Which is one of the things that in sponsorship is so... There's a dynamic that is so incredible because at some level, when we spend that much time with another human being, it connotes that we have great value in that other person to spend, to want to spend time with them. So, also think of Mahatma Gandhi. Now, Mahatma Gandhi was an Indian and uh, married to Indira. He was an attorney, but he also was a very spiritual guy. And every day he had a little prayer and meditation. But on Saturdays, every Saturday, from sunup to sundown, he spent in prayer and meditation. He used to really piss a lot of people off. You know, this like, I'm here to see Mahatma. Well, he's busy. What's he doing? Meditate. <laughs> I walked 300 miles. Go get him. No, he's busy. You know, it's like. Yeah, come back tomorrow. <laughs> but let's think about that. Like, okay, one day a week, you know, it's like one out of seven, 14%. You know, this guy, you know, maybe spent 14% of his time with God, and he changed the planet. His ideas crushed the British, threw them out of India, and did wonders for non-violent resistance and certainly changed the cultural landscape of this country cultural and social and he did it from here so I'm not to the point where I'm there yet but let, let me think 10% I'm awake you know, 16 hours a day that's 1.6 and it's like an hour and a half 90 minutes a day with God I don't know I don't think I can do that but I wonder what the possibilities would be just a thought I think we ought to take a break I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve the best source for experience strength and hope for SA members Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.